So let's pray. We welcome everybody that's joined us live, wherever you're at. Uh, let's pray, and we request for her friend Mary. So I broke her hip. We want to pray for her recovery. And then some of you have heard about Debbie Kuhn. She got diagnosed with leukemia. So I want to lift her up before the Lord. So, Father, we thank you for this time we have together. We thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for your word. You said you've magnified your word above everything. Nothing else, everything starts with the Word, Lord. And we just praise You for that. We thank You for Your Word. And we ask You to be with Mary and help her to recover uh, from this injury. We ask You to be with uh, Debbie Kuhn and, and help her to overcome this battle that she's in and be, for her health to be restored. And we ask You to bless this time we have in Your Word. May we be more like You when we leave. In Jesus' name, Amen. So Luke was a physician um, turned disciple, and he wrote uh, one of the Gospels and uh, also most of Acts probably. And I'm going to get rid of this coat here. So uh, pretty big sacrifice, but it's a good perspective that God uses. He uses whosoever will, right? doesn't matter what our vocation is as long as we're willing to do what He asks. And I think sometimes people, instead of doing what they're asked to do in the moment, they're waiting for some big day out there, you know. But the Bible says if we'll be faithful in little things, He'll make us ruler over much. So we need to be faithful in little things, and that includes everything, right? Prayer. Time in the in the word, money. Be faithful over all the little things, and then he'll increase all those. But you cannot cop out on God. Well, I ain't got enough time, or I ain't got enough money, or I can't, or I'm just waiting. You know that I think that's why a lot of people never reach their destiny because they won't do the little thing that's in front of them. Because we and partly. It's not really their fault. It's our fault. We need to take responsibility for ourselves. But we see some ministry on television that's got millions of people following it. And that's our idea of ministry. And God said, I want to see if you'll go across the street and witness to your neighbor. I want to see if you'll read the Word every day. I want to see if you'll be faithful with $10 before I'll give you a million you know, so all that stuff we kind of skip because we, we, we get in the flesh, right? And we see somebody out there with uh, all this gathered around them and we don't know their life, right? What they've sacrificed. And so I think we got to start with the little things. Just be faithful in the little things and then God will raise us up and give us more to be a steward over, right? I heard a pastor say one time, and he's a, an African-American from, he was in Louisiana, and he didn't say what kind of automobile he drove, but he said somebody criticized him for that. And he made an interesting statement. He said, don't judge my harvest till you've seen my seed. You know, some people, they're givers. I've watched people give themselves out, give their way out of poverty. And I had a couple come to me one time. Neither one of them had a job. They both got saved. Neither one of them finished high school. One of them didn't finish grade school. 
And they, we had a food pantry, and they said, uh, we feel like God's, they were growing, and they said, we feel like God's telling us to bring 10% of our food here because we get food stamps. And my first inclination was to throw my hands up and say, no, you don't have to do that. But the Holy Spirit stopped me and said, this is between me and them. You leave them alone. So they started bringing 10% of their food to the food pantry. In a month, they both had jobs. And God started blessing them. They bought their own place. They were living in a shack, basically, before that. So you, you're never going to outdo God. I know fear is there, right? Fear is always there, trying to get us to not do the little thing because we just don't think it. Another thing we think about the little thing, well, what will it matter? What's it matter if I... If I don't do my little part, somebody else will get it. Look, I mean, everybody watches that preacher, you know. They'll hear him say it. You know what my job was last night? I was supposed to be out of town. Dwayne spoke, and so, but I wasn't. I got hindered from going out of town. And so I was here, and I was spent a little time encouraging some folks that work over there on Wednesday. And then I caught one of those guys that rides a bus and spent about 25 minutes with him explaining to him why we wanted him here and why we brought him here. That was my call last night. And that was as important out there in that breezeway as anything that was going on in either one of these buildings. If we'll just do our part. If we'll just do our part. I held a revival in Cincinnati one time, and the greatest thing I did that week whatever great means, <laughs> was take a little eight-year-old boy to Kmart. That's how long ago it's been, because it's Kmart around, uh, and fix his bicycle tire. It ministered to me because he, for the first time, somebody in his life, he was left to just run the streets. You imagine that, six or eight years old, down on the rough part of Cincinnati. And they resisted me for the first two or three days of the week, the children did. And then they started hanging all over my legs because discipline is resisted at first, right? That's human nature. But if discipline is consistent, just like God teaches, it, they start reading that as love, right? Because nobody cared where he was at at night, even though he was just eight years old. But when somebody cares, said, hey, you got to look before you go across the street. Hey, let's go get your bicycle fixed. He said, his, yeah, I, felt, I started crying because he said his bicycle had been messed up for months and nobody would fix it. So sometimes if you just do the little thing, just do the little thing, and then watch God start adding to that. And now here we got a physician, probably in obscurity in some level, right? A physician in a certain area, but not known to the whole world, right? God took that physician, and now everybody in the world reads what he said. Or everybody has access to read what he said. What an impact, because he decided to put God first, right? So let's read. Insomuch as we have taken in hand to set in order the narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So they're giving accounts. You can imagine all this stuff's been going on around this figure, Jesus. The world's an uproar, watching all this take place. Rome's, this is all political to them, right? Uh, 
you got to remember, everybody's always been people. So there's a lot of political slants going on. you got Jews that hate him. They didn't hate him for his miracles. They hated him for the Word. The Word is the tension point. People love the... Uh, what's the word I want to use? Right or wrong, good or bad, real or unreal. They love the... I had a word and I just lost it. I'll come back to it in a minute. <laughs> but this, when Jesus spoke, He spoke the truths of His Father. And they hated that. So a, a, a few people followed Jesus. Then you got the Jews, mostly, uh, most of them rejected Him. Then you got Rome basically resisting Him. All this is going on. Then you've got Him dying on a cross, right? Kind of a 24-hour deal. He wasn't really sitting in prison like the other guys were waiting to be executed. Wouldn't, didn't really have much of a trial. Just back and forth, bam, 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 and hanging on a cross. And then you've got all these people running around saying, He's risen. Now that's, not only that, but if you read Matthew, the end of Matthew, after Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible said the graves of the saints opened up and they, start, they come out of the grave. Remember that? Matthew 26 or 27? Let's go over there because I think this is important for you to see. Most people uh, have forgotten that or didn't. Uh, read it. <clears throat> uh, let's see. I might have to look that up. It's one of those last chapters there. Does anybody see that? 20, I'm looking right at it and couldn't see it. <laughs> What's that say? <laughs> And it says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in 51 of Matthew 27, and, and it was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earthquake, the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after His resurrection. Now you don't have to raise your hand and say, I had never read that before, or I missed that or something. But now think about that. Jesus rises first. It, it's clear to make that clear, right? It says they came out of the graves after His resurrection. So Jesus comes out and then the graves of the saints. Now, if I can show you something here uh, that will help you understand why this took place. Uh, before Jesus was resurrected, people couldn't go directly into the presence of God. Because they weren't clothed, right? After Jesus' resurrection, the Bible says He led captivity captive. These people in the Old Testament were not in heaven. They were in a place called paradise. Alright? Another name for it's Abraham's bosom, right? Jesus talks about the rich man and Lazarus and all that going on. After the resurrection, then these saints no longer had to be in this holding area even though it was fine, it was a place of paradise, they were fine. Now they had direct access to the Father, and it all hinges on what we just read, because the veil was rent. See, that was not just for us. That was for everybody all the way back to Adam. So when the veil got rent, these people could no longer stay 
in Abraham's bosom. They were, had the freedom at that point when Jesus was resurrected, and they had the freedom at that point to go straight into the presence of God. Now in the New Testament, what's the Bible say to us who believe and die? It says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So that's the beauty of, of seeing the Scriptures. So uh, Jesus gets resurrected, and maybe there's a uh, supernatural element to there. <laughs> I mean, when Jesus come out of the ground, how could the rest of them not come out, I guess? I don't know. I mean, here He comes, bringing death, I mean, overcoming death. And all these Old Testament saints were waiting for Him. They believed. They were waiting for His day. They died having not seen it, but they died believing, right? And that's what the a lot of the book of Hebrews is talking about. And so now these guys came out of the grave um, when Jesus came out of the grave. So, so all this is going on. Can you imagine trying to explain all that? The reason I took you there um, as we start Luke here is can you imagine what he said here? If I can go back to Luke chapter 1 here. He says, uh, he's trying to explain all this. Let me give you an orderly account. So what, what do you, this wasn't done in the dark, right? They were people who saw Jesus alive. I guarantee you all these saints couldn't get, they, they got up and started walking around. People had to see that. Yeah, the Romans. And so you've got a big political upheaval. You've got a supernatural, powerful events going on all around you. And the devil's probably running around like a chicken with his head cut off. <laughs> you know, what's happening, what's happening? And, and God's just watching all this unfold because it's part of His plan. Now you've got these guys that are left here, these disciples, and they're having to explain this. But you remember, Jesus hung around. He went to the Father, came back. First He said, you can't touch me. Then when He ascended to the Father and showed up the next time to His boys, walked through the wall on them, right? Didn't open the door. Then He said they could touch Him. Because I, everybody says what the preacher thinks. I believe Jesus, between His resurrection and reappearing here to these disciples, that He went to the heaven and poured His blood out on the altar. Because if you remember the tabernacle that we use regularly here, Moses made this according to the one in heaven. So I believe Jesus went to the heavens and poured His blood out right here, dropped some of His blood and came back. He was the perfect sacrifice. And then, first He said, don't touch me, after He had been made His full rounds, so to speak. Then he said, you can touch me now. And then he hangs out with his boys. I, think about this. After his resurrection, he's making fish dinner for them and everything. Walking through the wall. I love it. You know, everything going on. We forget that sometimes. We think Jesus died, resurrected, and gone. He, he wasn't gone. He stayed around a little while. Imagine trying to explain all that. I use this, uh, well, we'll look at another, there's a, there's a situation coming up, you'll see how, how that feels. There was in those days of Herod, the king of Judah, Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, the vision of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and the name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking in the commandments and ordinance of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years, and this is kind of a pattern for God, right? Having supernatural births. Uh, so it was that while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priest, 
His lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside the hour of incense. Remember that? So his job was back here at the incense altar. He, that's John, uh, going to be John the Baptist's father. He was, those priests worked like 30 days and off. They, they had a rotation. They also worked third shift. That's why when you read in the Psalms, it says those who stand in the house of the Lord by night. Because this stuff had to stay lit and had to keep burning. They couldn't go out. The showbread had to be fresh. They were, they were, this was all unto the Lord. And so uh, I read where one of the priests had a prod and he would go around and make sure the guys didn't fall asleep that were on duty that night. Because they had to stay awake and keep this stuff moving. That was how they honored God and keep uh, from God going, <laughs> working against them. So he's at the incense altar. That's his job, altar of incense. Zechariah saw him. Uh, he was there praying outside the hour. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him in verse 11, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah saw him and was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, or Yochanan. That's how you'd say that in the Hebrew. We call it Jonathan. But Yochanan or John, he's gonna, his name's John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel uh, to the Lord their God. So he's got a distinct advantage, right? He's filled with the Spirit when he's born. That's a, that's a great advantage to have. But look what the first key to John the Baptist is. is turning people to the Lord. I think if our hearts were that way, it's untelling what God would do in our lives. But the church has fallen into the culture because most people, that's a hard statement, a lot of people go to church for themselves just to get what they can get, what I need, what I want. But what if we had a different attitude? What if our whole lives, first thing, was how can God use us to get His glory and lead others to Him? What if that was number one on our list? He will also go before Him in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn hearts of the fathers to the children. Wouldn't that be a... That would be beautiful to happen just in this one county, wouldn't it? if it would turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. That's horrendous where we're at. The foster care system is an epidemic in this state. Not mention other states. Thousands of children. My daughter-in-law is heavy into that system, and she can tell you stories where people come in to take children and find out they're not going to get enough money and leave the children there and walk out on them. It's just sad. It's an epidemic. Be beautiful to see the hearts of the fathers and mothers turn back to the children. That would be a revival within itself. And disobedience, uh, and, and the disobedient to the wisdom and just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, to get them ready. Right? John's going to get them ready. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man. 
and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. So here Gabriel, <laughs> we see him showing up with announcements, right? I believe he's the one that showed up in Daniel. And he's the one that's bringing the word. It's kind of a similar situation. Same thing he told Daniel. He said, your prayer's been heard, right? Here he comes. He said, your prayer's been heard. So there's, we can detect, we don't maybe see this at first, but after Gabriel speaks, he says, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak with you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled on their own time. What? <laughs> it's almost like God expects us to believe Him and take Him at His word. And not fall apart and fall all to pieces every other day. There's some level of that. That, that I mean, Zacharias is there. The angel shows up. That's his first clue. Right? Supernatural being shows up to give you a word. You ought to have taken in probably. And he's, he's resisting a little bit, right? He's, he's asking. And God doesn't have much patience with that. Right? I mean, there doesn't seem to be much patience for people who don't take God at His Word. He's God. Amen. You know what the Bible calls unbelief? Now, I'm going to say this. I hope it don't hurt anybody's feelings, but the Bible calls unbelief in Hebrews evil. You know what we call it? Immaturity. Oh, buddy. You grow. But you know, this is interesting to me. He said you got to have faith like a little child. He don't attribute faith to maturity. He attributes it to a little child. He said, and how do, how do little child children act? They're innocent and they believe whatever you tell them, don't they? The, our oldest granddaughter, the first one that our child adopted, if you tell her anything, she will recall it if it's not been fulfilled two or three weeks later. They believe, right? They believe. If you tell them you're going to go to Walmart, you better be going to Walmart. Because they believe what you say. And they're not like we are, are they? And we, we need to get out of this. I don't think we should excuse ourselves because we're older. I think we should get back to that. But they don't get in the car and say, did you check the brake fluid, Pat? Do you have enough gas? Do you, have, do you know how to get there? None of those questions are asked from a little child. They just get in and believe that what you said is going to happen. If you said we're going to Dollywood or Hollywood, I don't know why you'd want to go to Hollywood, but if we're going to Dollywood or Hollywood, they believe that, right? They don't get in and check all the instruments. They don't kick the tire and check the air pressure in the tire. They get in and they're ready to go. But if we're not careful, we'll be that person, won't we? Checking the air pressure, seeing if the brakes work. You know, we'll put God to the test on all that, right? So Zacharias did that, and he said, you're not going to be able to speak. You're going to be mute, not able to speak till, till the day these takes place, till he's born, basically, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled as he lingered so long in the temple, but when he came out, he could not speak to them, and, perceive, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned to them and remained speechless. 
So it was as soon as the days of the service were completed that he departed to his own house. So he was in his rotation to work in the temple. He's done. He's going home. Now after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived. She hid herself five months saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now Elizabeth and Mary are cousins. And so Mary's getting ready to get a visitation from the same angel. Here he comes. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, and we know now that Jesus and John the Baptist in the natural are six months apart. Jesus has always been, so he's Alpha and Omega, but he's coming in the flesh, right? And so he's going to be six months difference in the natural side of Jesus. It says in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to God in the city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice highly, favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now Mary's not deity. And there's a, there's a contingent out there that believe that. But she must have been one heck of a lady. And she was probably late teen years when this was happening. 16, 17, 18. Here's what we've got to convince our young people. And we need grandparents, parents, we need to start doing a better job of this. We need to teach them they don't have to be an idiot between 13 and 21. That they can love God through those years. Right? That's not a requirement. You're in middle school now, start acting like an idiot. That's not a requirement. Right? I know sometimes it happens, but... This woman was... And what about Timothy? What about... He told Timothy, Paul said, don't despise your youth. That word despise is not the best choice of words there in English, but it means don't think it's useless to be young and serve the Lord. But that's what we fell into because we've made all these other things the goals, right? From whether it's sports or academics or a job or popularity or whatever, those become the goals for our culture and those are the same goals now that the church packs around. You, you could, you, I've seen it. I've been doing this too long. I've seen people in the church more concerned about where their child was going to be educated than their spiritual journey. And that's got to change. And it can change. She, she's a blessed woman. There's no question about that. She's not deity. But she's probably a late teenager when this is all happening. And she's ready to be used by God. And she's stepping up to the plate here. Uh, she was troubled at this saying. Consider what manner of greeting this was. Verse 30 says, Then the angel, uh, uh, then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth the Son. You shall call His name Yeshua or Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So she's going to carry the Son of God. The Holy Spirit's going to put the seed of God in her womb. And she's going to bear the Son of God in the natural. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? The angel answered, this is Gabriel, and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. 
Therefore also the Holy One who is born, uh, who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month. So evidently Mary didn't know that. Remember the Bible said Elizabeth hid herself. The angel gives her that information, which will be a confirmation, right? When she goes to see Elizabeth, and she does, she will realize, I knew you was pregnant before I knew you was pregnant. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He will show us things to come, right? He will lead us in all manner of truth. In John 14, He will show us things to come before they happen. And this is all part of the way God confirms His work and, and life in us. And, uh, and said, Elizabeth, your relative, also conceived in her old age. And so now he's in the sixth month for, uh, for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Now that's a word for all of us. But notice, Mary and Elizabeth and Zacharias wouldn't out looking for nothing extravagant. They were just living their lives obeying the Lord when the Lord showed up. I think some folks, and that goes back to what we start off with, do what's in front of you. Obey the Lord. Read His Word. Start living it and obey it and see what He'll do. And then you won't, if you'll get grounded in the Word of God, you won't have these roller coaster lives that so many Christians have. Up and down, up and down, up and down. If you'll get grounded in the Word, and you can listen to it, you can read it. The Bible says basically that faith comes by hearing, and hearing of the Word of God. So there's the basis right there. That's why I listen to it so much. I, I, I don't know everything in here. I know a lot of what's in here because I've spent... But I, I still read this and soak it up just like I was a new Christian. Because it's food. The Bible says this is my spiritual food. It's your spiritual food. It's more than just the knowledge of what's in these pages. It's my spiritual food. And if I don't eat spiritually, I get weak. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit and the Word agree. The Holy Spirit is not impressed with any of us if we're not staying in the Word. And He don't want any credit. He wants Jesus to get all the credit. And that's what the Word does. It fills us with the love and the life of Jesus. The Holy Spirit, the Bible said, didn't even come to speak of Himself. He wants to be behind the scenes. And He wants all the glory to go to the Son. But we got now, we got superstars and all that in, in the church world, just like we do in the culture. And then He says, uh, she said, she, look what she says. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord... Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You realize what she just done when she said that? She put herself at risk. She could be stoned. She could be killed for showing up with a baby and no husband. Joseph hears about it, right? Joseph, we all know this story. Joseph... Uh, what learns about Mary, he knows he's not been with her. So he's freaking out, I guess. Doesn't say it that way, but he's probably... Uh, can you imagine Joseph... Let's put flesh and blood on it, because these people are just like we are. Can you imagine Joseph going to his friends and saying, um, 
my wife's or my fiance's pregnant. I can just see the first round of guys saying, well, you know, it's okay according to the law. If you'll marry, you've done the right thing. And, take a, and Joseph's like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> I've not been with her. And they're like, uh-oh. You know, his friends are probably like, uh-oh. What's this all about? And then Joseph says, well, it's, it's bigger than you think. She's telling me, she's telling me that the Lord done this, and she's not been with anybody else. And his buddies pat him on the back again and say, you're right. Yeah, let's put flesh and blood on it. Because that's how... Mary hadn't been training to be God's mother since kindergarten. This hit her out of the blue just like it did anybody. She's, she's uh, nervous about all this, I'm sure. And so she's, of course, she can't, she surrenders and she knows, she knows the truth, right? Joseph's wrestling with the truth. His buddies are probably saying, man, you buying all that? You, you, better, you better slow your roll here, buddy. You better find out what's going on, right? And all this stuff going on and then he has a dream, right? The Lord gives him a dream. He was going to put her away, the Bible says, privately. Because he loved her. He knew she would probably wind up being stoned and killed if he made a big deal out of it. But he loved her. And so he wasn't going to marry her. But he's going to put her away privately. And then the Lord shows up and gives him a word, right? And says, take her unto your wife. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And so it covered. But see, you know, whoever knew... And whatever people they told, they, everybody wouldn't buy it. And so, what wonderful people of faith and obedience Mary and Joseph were. Took the risk of being misunderstood and everything else, just like Tamar in the Old Testament. Uh-oh. And Judah said, she was more righteous than I was. So, everybody's getting in on the fun now. <laughs> Mary rose in those days and went into the hill country and haste the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted uh, Elizabeth. And it happened that Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary and the babe leaped up in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women... And blessed is the fruit of, the of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So the, they're all getting in on the understanding of what's going on here because of the Holy Spirit. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy because is, blessed is she who believed, right? A little different situation. She had the exact uh, response to Zacharias did. The opposite. I mean, Zacharias thought, well, is this all going to happen? Mary said, let it happen. So she said, blessed is, is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Now that's a big line right there. You see that? Receiver of divine favor is what that word blessed means. That is, we've used this word before. Markarios is the word blessed, and it means recipient of divine favor. 
Certainly she was. But that word's used in regard to us too. It's the same word that's used in all the Beatitudes. If you do what the Beatitudes, if you live like the Beatitudes, why don't we get back to those things? If we live though, if we would just take these things and start doing what, look what a supernatural thing started happening in all the, we all love the supernatural. We want it, right? We want the supernatural operation in our lives, but it's coming to these people who are being faithful and obedient in their normal, everyday lives. They're not storm chasers. They're not miracle chasers. They're just living their lives, obeying the Word of God. That's the secret to life. That's the secret. <clears throat> and he says, uh, blessed, uh, he says, she says, blessed is she who believe. Now this is, this is something for all of us to consider here. Blessed is she who believe, and there's that contingent. Look at that. For there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. So here's, here's what we can deduct from that, possibly. That we may miss out if we don't believe. Or it causes us some heartache at the very least. How important is believing? The Bible says it's impossible to please God unless you have faith. Hebrews 11 and 6. So is a lack of faith or fear and no faith causing me to miss out or have trouble that I wouldn't necessarily need or necessarily have if I would only believe. Like a little child. And Mary said, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now notice what she's doing. She's not talking about how good she is. She's not talking about how powerful she is. All of her focus is on the Lord. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy and spoke to our fathers as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. So she stayed up there basically, it sounds like, till, the ba till John was born. But these people knew the Word. Have you noticed that? When you read these Gospels. Remember when uh, Lazarus was dead and Martha and Mary was out there and, and, they, and Jesus said, he'll, your brother's going to rise from the dead. They said, we know he'll rise again in the last day. They, they, had good, they understood the Word, even though all of it wasn't written down. That, that, that tells me something. It tells me that <clears throat> the women were not oppressed in Israel. That's all a lie. They had access to God and His Word. And if you read about servants, they, Israel didn't have slaves 
the, the Lord was very clear to them. If somebody owed money in those days, one of the ways they could get out from under it was to sell themselves or their family. It didn't matter what color skin you was. You could give yourself away to this person for a certain amount of time and pay that debt off, right? And so and they, they... But Israel was trained or told by God to if somebody was doing that in their family or on their farms or whatever, they were supposed to treat them like family. That's why you get what Paul and them teach in the New Testament. They said... Sometimes when somebody was sold into, into servanthood by their own choosing or sometimes in another way, they would stay even when they got the freedom to leave because their master treated them so good. So Paul equates that with being born again, right? Because when we become a bond servant or a do loss, uh, we, we give God, He takes responsibility for us and we honor Him by serving Him to the uttermost. That's how that's that's why he brings all of that in the Bible. So the these Jewish women, they they were, you know, knowers of the word, if that's the right way. That's the wrong way to say it. But they knew the word. They even the women knew the word. It wasn't just the men. God's always he he's always he loves everybody. He whose ideal was it to make woe man? It was God's. He made man and then he made woe man. That was all God's idea. Whose idea was it for a man and a woman to be married? God's. That's not our ideas. Those all came from God. And that's why I like C.S. Lewis, uh, Mere Christianity, when he, that book basically argues that there's a God without, uh, just by the moral code and creation. And so he says, even an atheist has a standard of right and wrong, right? And he's right. He's correct about that. Somebody who calls himself an atheist would still say, well, that's good and that's bad, right? They would say that. Well, his argument, C.S. Lewis, and it's a good one, says where did that moral compass come from? Even if they claim they're an atheist, where did that moral compass come from that says that's good and that's bad? And he talks about how God has set the standard, and even though people who don't recognize Him are still influenced by the standard, he said. But what did Paul say about those people in Romans chapter 1? He said they chose not to retain God. It wasn't just flipping. And as I've said, and I feel this, it's been burning in me. Do you know how much God's been after you and me in our lives? Do you think He's not being that way out there with those people? He is. I think we all act like we're all worried about people not hearing the gospel or getting to know the truth. Do you know how God worked in your life? Do you not think He's doing the same thing out there? Men are just rejecting Him. They chose not. So if you know how much God chased you down, quote unquote, He, he don't love us any more than He loved anybody out there. And he may have a role for us to play in that, right? But uh, <clears throat> he's, he's full of love, compassion. He said it's not his will that any would perish, but that all would come under repentance. Mary remained with her and then went. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered. She brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. And so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him by the name of his father Zacharias. 
His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father and he, uh, what he would have him called. And when he asked for a writing tablet, What? Remember what I've taught you all lately? These guys were writing. Uh, and saying, his name is John. So they all marveled immediately. His mouth was open, his tongue loose, and he spoke praising God. So God kept him shut down till he, till he wrote his name out. Uh, I think God has a sense of humor too. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these things were discussed throughout all the hail country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And... Uh, and the hand of the Lord was with him. So we'll, we'll stop there. Uh, think about that though. There's a lesson in there too. And I um, don't, you don't get to choose what God's going to do with your children. That's God's deal. He gave you to be a steward, to raise them in that way, but He gets to call what they do in life. We don't get to make those decisions. And I don't know, and this is just carnal, I don't know that any of my three children are doing what I thought they would do. If I look back on it, I don't know. And I understood that early on, so I didn't try to press them into something. But I thought, I don't know that any three of them are doing what I thought they would be doing. But they all love the Lord. They're all saved fall and feel the spirit and they're just and that's that's really all that matters uh but i was just thinking back and i i never was pushy in that way i, I in fact i sat down with all three of my children and said you college is not the end all be all if that's what you feel like god's telling you to do you pray about it if he's telling you to go to work for ups or the railroad you just follow the lord that's whatever whatever you're supposed to do because uh success comes from following the lord it don't come from a piece of paper on your wall. And I, I'll never forget, I think I heard Dave Ramsey say, he talks about financial success and all the things that we hear the culture say are so far down the list. They, and he's got the resources and the network to do it. They've done studies and the top things that cause people to be successful financially are not what, they're not GPAs, they're not where you, what your degree's in or where you went to college even. None of that was in like the top three or four. I mean, it's amazing to me uh, the things that people was attributed when they went down and drilled down in that. You can probably find that study. It's a pretty interesting study of what they found out the top reasons were for people to be successful financially. And it wasn't the name of the school they went to. It wasn't the GPA they had. It wasn't any, it wasn't stuff like that. It was other things like one of the one of the top one I believe was the quality of spouse they had. That was number one, the quality of spouse. And I and, and you know and he talks about how, well I don't get in that I'll get a whole new teaching started. So anyway, we'll stop there. We appreciate everybody joining us today. Thank all you uh, for coming. You are free to go.